Hello and welcome to Top in Tech. This week is the second in our mini-series looking at 2024, the year of electoral change. Last week, we covered off the Labour Party and its views to the tech landscape, and this week we're going to be turning our attention to the Republicans in the US. Opinion polling suggests it will yet again be a tight race for the White House. Republicans might reclaim the White House and have a strong chance to flip the Senate. But will this change much for the tech sector? The record of the past decade has been one of a failure to legislate in Washington DC on tech issues, so should we really expect a change of administration to affect this, or will it be more of the same, even if we see a change of party in charge of the White House? I'm Conan Darcy, Senior Practice Director for Tech at Global Council, and I'm joined today by Sonia Vasconcelos, an associate in GC's Washington DC office. So Sonia, thank you very much for joining me. Could we start with Donald Trump, who is leading in the polling for the Republican nomination to become president, though he obviously has a number of legal difficulties that he needs to navigate over the next uh, 12 to 18 months. And if we look back at his first term, because I guess that's the best, best point of reference that we can use for trying to understand what a second Trump term might be like. And he had a very particular focus, not just on China and Chinese trade and Chinese tech, but on Chinese tech companies specifically. And I just wanted to get your initial thoughts about whether we would see the same assertive, often aggressive approach under a second Trump presidency. So in short, I think yes. Since leaving office back in 2020, Trump has actually further escalated his anti-China rhetoric by publicly arguing for the decoupling of the U.S. and Chinese economies. Now, this means that Trump is much more likely to escalate the current trade war with China by introducing new tariffs and export controls. And all this could create further tensions, making it even harder for tech companies that currently have close ties to China to continue operating in the U.S. So as of now, specific policy detail that would affect Chinese tech companies in the Trump 2024 campaign is still pretty unclear. With most of Trump's tech policy at the moment focused on media bias and censorship. But still, Trump has proven that he's willing to go out and take action against Chinese-based tech companies like TikTok and WeChat, even if it means pushing legal boundaries. And we should expect this to stay the same under a second administration. The caveat to all this that I want to mention is that Biden has actually largely followed the previous Trump administration's kind of hardline stance against China. And this is shown by his soon-to-be-announced executive order curbing investment in China's high-tech sectors like chips, quantum, and AI, in addition to curbs on exports of chips to China. So I don't think we should expect a huge shift in actual policy. However, what we could expect under a second Trump administration is more unpredictability and much harsher rhetoric. Yeah, it's interesting. Every time I go to Washington, D.C., Sonia, you're struck by the level of unanimity and consensus about China. On everything else, all we hear is the story of partisan disagreements and an inability to agree or an unwillingness to agree on different issues. But on Chinese tech and Chinese trade and the competition between the U.S. and China, we see a level of agreement that is just not really seen in most other parts of policy in Washington, D.C., so you're right, there is going to be almost certainly a degree of continuity, whoever takes over uh, from President Biden, or indeed if he has a second term, but it's the way in which that policy is prosecuted 
which could be different. So as you as you rightly pointed out, President Trump often went for individual companies, whereas the Biden administration has tended to do much more cross-cutting measures, which some would argue have actually had a more significant impact on China and Chinese tech development than had happened under the perhaps the more aggressive rhetoric of Biden's predecessor. You mentioned while you were talking there that Trump has said a lot about issues related to free expression online. He was quite famously thrown off Twitter and Facebook after the Capitol riots. And there's a big controversy which has brewed ever since about how do you balance rights and responsibility and free speech, particularly with a serving or indeed a former president. So given what you said before, are you saying that he will look to intervene and legislate on issues around content moderation online? So I actually went on Trump's website for his campaign, and it has a list of 15 or so policy issues. And one of them actually reads exactly, end censorship and reclaim free speech. Even think tanks that are close to Trump, like the America First Policy Institute or the Heritage Foundation, have full entire pages on media bias and censorship. So as such, Trump and his policy team have outwardly stated that social media companies are widely censoring the American people and that this would definitely be one of his priorities in a new administration. Now, Trump has actually already an out outlined a plan on this, which is rare. In a video on Truth Social as part of his free speech platform policy announcement at the end of last year, Trump outlined a plan that would be twofold. It would include an executive order and legislation that would need that would need passing in Congress. On the executive side, Trump has said that he would sign in an executive order banning any federal agencies from colluding with a tech company to impede the lawful speech of American citizens. Now, on the le 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 legislative side, Trump has already said that Congress should pass a bill of rights that would basically force governments to get a court order prior to taking down online content and also inform people whether their content is being taken down. Now, further on Section 230, Trump has pledged to reform the legal protection to only apply to companies that meet the high standards of so-called transparency and fairness. Now, as I said, Trump has actually outlined specific policy in this area, which means that it would probably be a high priority for his administration, as other issues on his website are much more vague. However, that doesn't mean that there wouldn't be hurdles for, for Trump. Legal issues around ending free, sh free speech or censorship policy would be thorny, and passing anything through Congress, let alone Section 230, has proven extremely hard even if there was a Republican congressional majority. So there's a clear intent from the Trump administration to legislate in this area. However, although we're seeing a degree of consensus within the Republicans on this issue, it isn't necessarily going to be that straightforward. As you, as you point out, there are legal challenges and obstacles, but there is also the political question of whether efforts to protect free expression mean that certain groups online receive fewer protections 
from technology companies. And I'm thinking here very specifically about protecting children online. And clearly, if you start to get an argument around protecting children online, then it could take a momentum of its own, which will cause complications potentially for any efforts to reform Section 230 in Congress. So we focused on, on Donald Trump. But as I said, there's a number of legal issues uh, surrounding him. And as we know, primaries are not as straightforward as, as they sometimes seem when we're this far out. And you can see opinion polls showing big majorities of one candidate over another. Many a front runner has come unstuck throughout that process. And that could happen to Donald Trump. So let's think about what his main rival, at the moment at least, uh, for the Republican nomination thinks. And that's Ron DeSantis, the, the governor of Florida. And on the point that we've just been talking about, DeSantis has also been quite big on this issue around uh, free expression, and he's also made his name in many ways by campaigning against what he sees as woke corporate America and companies like Disney. So do you think he would also look to intervene on these issues that you've just spoken about with content moderation and Section 230? So yes, and his approach would largely mirror Trump's on this issue. As we talked about media bias and big tech censorship, is hugely important to their specific base of voters that both candidates are trying to attract. So while DeSantis' campaign website is noticeably bare on policy detail, we can look at his record in Florida. And the one example I want to point to here is in 2021, when DeSantis signed a legislation into law in Florida that would ban tech companies from taking down active political candidates from their platforms and give Florida residents the chance to bring lawsuits against tech companies that they feel have acted unfairly. Notably, this bill was actually passed a few months after Trump was banned from Twitter. However, shortly after being signed, the bill faced legal pushback, and a federal court ultimately found that the law went against social media companies' First Amendment rights as private actors. As we said, a lot of these issues are not as straightforward as we might think and, and are very thorny legally. But what this situation shows us is that, like Trump, DeSantis is willing to go and pursue policies that would test the legal authority of the government, particularly on free speech and content moderation, and that it's an issue that he would take a stand on because it's so central to his conservative voter base. Right. So whether it's Trump or DeSantis, we are certainly going to see some action should the Republicans take the White House with regards to these controversial issues around content moderation section 230 and we could end up as we've seen with the Florida case because that could end up in the Supreme Court the legislation which DeSantis oversaw could end up in the Supreme Court anyway and indeed any law brought in by DeSantis or a Trump presidency might befall the same fate and end up uh, before the judges. One other area where DeSantis has been quite active Sonia is around privacy and we've people who listen to the podcast regularly know we talk intermittently about this idea of whether the US will ever pass a federal privacy law, but he has passed a privacy law in Florida. So given that he has done that at a state level, can we read into that that he and his administration may encourage Congress to do the same at a federal level if he takes the White House? So let me first do a recap of the bill that was passed in Florida that that you mentioned. So DeSantis signed the Florida Digital Bill of Rights into law on June 6th of this year. 
with the rules scheduled to go into effect on July 1st, 2024. Now, this bill largely resembles other state privacy laws. It gives users access rights to their data, opt-out rights, and deletion rights. And the bill also limits the retention of personal data by internet companies. Now, importantly, this law also has a pretty high threshold for companies that would qualify for these new rules. And it has a narrow scope of essentially targeting just a few big tech companies. Now, also relevant to a few of the debates in Congress right now, the bill defines children as people who are under the age of 18 years old. Now, not only does this bill target data privacy, but it also targets some of the content moderation issues that we had just talked about by making search engines say whether political ideology has influenced any of the search results. And it also bans government-mandated content moderation. So overall, because Florida is a red state, it highlights that, yes, there is bipartisan appeal to this data privacy regulation. However, I don't think this means that Congress would be any more likely to pass comprehensive privacy bill under a potential DeSantis administration. For one, there are still sticky issues in Congress like private right of action and preemption that have stalled previous bills. And two, as I talked about, I think that this issue of media bias and censorship still take front and center over data privacy for free publican. Okay, so a lot of what you said, Sonia, makes sense to me. We may we may have something here around an attempt to legislate on free speech in Section 230. Perhaps from what you're saying there, it's lower down on the pecking order, but you never know. We may also have something around a federal privacy law, assuming we don't get something passed before the 2024 elections. But all of this, have you said several times throughout this discussion hinges on the ability of Congress to legislate. So we think that the Republicans are in the driving seat to potentially take the Senate. Do you think if they control both houses, this would change the dynamics of tech regulation in these areas? Do you think they'd actually be able to get something passed in a way in which we haven't seen in the last, I guess, 15 years in Washington, D.C.? So there are some Republican lawmakers who are actually serious about regulating big tech and have strongly put their name behind legislation like a data privacy bill, a children's safety bill, AI, and antitrust. However, I don't think these issues, as I said, would be as high on the priority list for a Republican Congress as they would be for a Democratic one. In addition, the House of Representatives still poses major challenge with huge fractions within the Republican Party. Even under a unified Democratic Congress, widely popular tech issues still could not be passed. And as I mentioned, there's still really sticky issues like private right of action and preemption for data privacy bills. And while I might seem pretty pessimistic right now, it's more to do with the overall realities of a slow Congress and these fractions within each of the parties rather than actual support from free public and voters. In fact, one survey I found that was published in May of last year on Fox News shows that 79% of GOP primary voters responded that they either strongly or somewhat disapprove of the job that Congress has done in regulating big tech firms, with 73% of people saying that the industry's major players are not regulated enough. However, these numbers don't necessarily stem from the same place as Democrats. 
They most likely respond to feelings that big tech is stifling speech and distorting market access. Even with antitrust policy, as I mentioned, where we have seen some Republicans like Rep. Ken Buck and even Rep. Matt Gates have been supporters of antitrust policy, other Republicans like Jim Jordan have been less willing to focus on the issue, highlighting the fractions within the party. All in all, with a unified, controlled Congress, we should expect at least some momentum on legislation targeting big tap perceived censorship practices, focusing on media biases and punishing companies for perceived unfair content moderation. So Sonia, just to wrap up our discussion here, one thing we haven't talked about is AI and AI policy, and that tends to dominate almost every podcast episode we're doing at the moment. So I feel obliged to ask you that as our final question, just to understand do you get a sense that Republicans and Republican politicians have a clear position on this? Or there, if they don't around AI governance, do they at least have some instinctive concerns that they may look to act on if they were to either take the Senate or to take the White House or both? So in terms of a clear view, I would say no. But to be fair, I don't think that there is a clear view in Congress in general in either party. Senator Schumer's AI framework was very light on policy details and emphasizes that lawmakers first need to learn from experts in industry prior to shaping specific laws. Actually, last week, Republican Senator Todd Young, who has been a key player on AI in the, the Senate, has said that a potential new AI law should not be focused on banning certain practices or products, but instead, Young suggested that AI regulation efforts should aim to equip federal agencies and policymakers with resources that they need to implement laws that already exist. He also said that while lawmakers need to develop a high-level plan that identifies threats posed by AI and a method for countering them, individual committees should address these threats, dealing with specific sectors like education and agriculture, and that these should be focused on, again, empowering current federal agencies and the law's already in place. So in addition to Young's comments that suggest a more light touch approach to AI laws, free publicans would be much more likely to centralize their efforts around national security and competition with China, as we have mentioned. Young actually pointed to the CHIPS Act from last year, highlighting that national security is one way to get everyone on board. So yet again, we come back to that issue that we started with on the podcast, Sonia, that where we can see action, where we can see some form of consensus and where a future Republican administration might get something through with some Democrat support or at least not too much Democrat opposition, again ties back to China, in this case, competition with China over the development of AI and generative AI and broader use cases in the future. Well, thank you very much for taking us through that. We'll obviously return to this theme perhaps towards the end of the year, start of next, when we've got a little bit more clarity on how the, the competition for the Republican primary is shaping up and indeed what that then means for what the contest is going to look like between President Biden and their potential competitor. For anyone who's interested in what we've been discussing today around how there is that intersection between the electoral politics of next year and tech regulation and tech policy, you can find Sonia's details on that of our other colleagues based in the Washington DC office on our website at www.global-council.com or via the link in the podcast notes. 
Next week, our episode is going to focus on what the next European Commission might do. EU has led the tech clash globally against the tech sector. So will it continue? And if it will, in what form will it take? So we'll be there for that next week to discuss and hopefully you'll be able to join us. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>